Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Sometimes in our minds, we think so-and-so is too far gone. So-and-so is too far gone. What we don't realize, because we can't take a step back and see the whole picture, we don't see God saying, okay, this piece of the puzzle over here that you're not even aware of, I'm sliding that into place, and this one, I'm sliding this one into place, and oh, the one that you think is too far gone, I'm connecting all these pieces to that person. Just watch and see. Just wait and see. Even in a world where everyone around you may be living contrary to how the Bible says to live, you still have the choice to be obedient to God. Today, Pastor James continues in Genesis to show you that Joseph, even through traumatic events throughout his lifetime, chose to live morally. You learn that he was surrounded by a family that didn't have much character, and even though he was hated for it by his brothers, he still chose to be obedient to his earthly and heavenly father. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis, chapter 37, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. dreams still another dream. The dreams just keep coming, right? They just keep coming. And he told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And again, it's like, Joseph, buddy, come on, man. Like, but here's what we need to understand. The Lord is using all this. Even the dreams, even the hatred, even probably the lack of tact in Joseph's life, the Lord is using all of these as puzzles for his plan. Even the simplest things as dreams, he can use them all. I've dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, he has 11 brothers, bow down to me, <laughs> okay? Bow down to me. And this is in the presence of his brothers and now his dad, okay? Now, there's some thought here that when this dream happens and when he tells this, that this could have been around the time when his mom was still alive, okay? Because that's, that, that's why Jacob is about to say what he's going to say. It says, he tells it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? Now, here's the other thing to take into consideration. Joseph has like three stepmoms. I believe that his mom has already passed away. His mom has already passed away. And partly why I believe that is because you have the 11th brother already in the equation, and that's Benjamin. He's already identifying, I have 11 brothers, 11 stars. They all bow down to me. So Jacob's like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, because now you just brought me into this thing. He's clearly the sun, the mom is the moon, and the brothers are the stars. And Jacob is going to rebuke him, in a sense, but only to a certain degree. And really, this is the only time you see Jacob in his life ever kind of step up and say anything. And it's to his favorite son, and it's only when it concerns him. <laughs> it's only really when he's like, well, hold on, hold on. You wiped out a whole city full of people, and some bad stuff happened. But Joseph, hold on, buddy. You think I'm going to bow down to you? I got something to say now. It's like, well, Jacob, come on, dude. Where's your character at? But he says, shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come down to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. So now you've gone from this hatred 
And there's this envy that's, that's now creeping up. It's probably already been present within their lives, but it's now a key part of the story concerning them. But his father kept the matter in mind. His father never forgot about this, is what that's saying. He kind of tucked, away, tucked it away in his heart, probably because he's maybe remembering the dreams that he had. And he's like, well, maybe God is speaking to my son. That's probably what's going on there. And he's going to file that away in his heart, and it will come back to play. So that's the whole scenario, the whole setup for what's about to happen, right? So now we kind of get it. Like, here's Joseph, 17-year-old kid. He's having dreams, dreams that I believe are given to him by God. And he's explaining all this stuff. And he's super excited about what may be. He's the dreamer of the family and all this stuff. And the hatred is just about to overflow. So much so that it really kind of does explain what happens next, the rationale behind what happens next. Although they're not justified in doing this, but... Again, God is behind it, and he's going to use it. He's going to allow it to happen, and he's going to use it. Verse 12, then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Shechem obviously was good land, but considering the stories and how we just left from Shechem, it's like, why would you ever want to go back there? The slaughter that happened, but they lead their father's flock in Shechem. Joseph is out to go and keep watch, kind of to bring back a report to his dad of what's going on. Verse 13, and Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, here I am. Verse 14, and he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. So this is part of like his responsibility. It's almost like Jacob's grooming him to take over, which would explain why he came back with the report earlier on. It's because his dad asked him to do it. This is something that he'd probably been his job for a while now. So this is just normal. Hey, your brothers are out in the field feeding the flocks. Can you just go check on them? You know, go see what they're up to, okay? Because they probably aren't to be trusted. They're probably not to be trusted. So he goes. This will be the last time for quite a while that Joseph will see his dad. For quite a while. Now, he does get to see him in the end before his dad passes away. And actually, for a while there, he gets to hang out with him. But... Here's 17-year-old Joseph, and not knowing that this is going to be the last goodbye for quite a while. So he sends him off, and he goes, and he, verse 15, it says, a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field, and he asked him, saying, what are you seeking? So Joseph says, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here, for I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now... When they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. So they're out there taking care of their business, and there he is in the distance. They recognize him probably because of the tunic, right? They're like, who's that guy? Obviously, he's not a worker. It's upper management. Here comes the boss, right? Like, ah, we spotted him and just enough time for them to plot what they're going to do to him. Their hearts go immediately to killing this kid. Like, that's how much they hated him. That's how much they envied him. The rationale within their brains was simply, well, let's just kill him. He's your brother. Let's just kill him. He's nothing but a pest. He's nothing but a problem. Let's eradicate him. Let's get rid of this problem. The best way to get rid of this problem is let's just take his life. That was what was going on within their hearts and their minds. This is where these guys are at. 
So they're scheming, they're conspiring against him to kill him. Verse 19, they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. It is fascinating that these guys are already planning out how they're going to lie to and deceive their father in somewhat of a similar way that their dad had deceived his father, involving an animal and the death of an animal as well, because they're looking to slaughter a beast and to use that as blood to deceive their dad. But they got this whole thing planned out. Let's just kill him. Let's kill him. Let's hide his body. And then we'll bring back that stupid coat to dad covered in blood and say, hey, some animal killed Joseph. And let's see what happens with his dreams then. It's a a good reminder that, you know, man can plot and plan his ways, but the ways of the Lord will always prevail. And the the ways of the Lord will always prevail above the wickedness of mankind. They just will. They got their schemes. They got their plan and all this stuff. But here, verse 21, Reuben, he hears about it. This is the oldest, Reuben. And he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into a pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. That, the only reason why he's saying is, is so that he's got another plan that he's scheming, right? That he, Reuben, might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So he's like, whoa, 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 guys, hold on. We've gone overboard, okay? We don't need to kill him. That's crazy. Let's just throw him in a pit. And then when his brothers move on, Reuben would go back and rescue Joseph out of the pit and bring him back to dad and say, hey, look what I did. I rescued your favorite son. Are we good now? I'm sorry I slept with your wife. Are we good now? Can I be the number one son again? That's probably what's going on here. He doesn't care about Joseph because he hates Joseph just as much as the other guys. But he might be able to win some favor with his dad if he rescues Joseph. That's his whole plan. And he's the oldest, and so he has some authority within the family up to this point of the journey. Verse 23, so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic. They got rid of that thing first off, okay? Just probably no words. They just tore this thing off of him, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and they cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. What? Are you kidding me? The callousness of their hearts. They assault their brother. Okay, this wasn't like a nice, hey, Joseph, let me help you with that coat, right? No, not at all. They ripped this thing off of him. They do not gently lower him down into the pit. They throw him into the pit. And then they set a table in the presence of their enemy? What? And they enjoy a meal as their brother is screaming out for them to deliver him. How do we know that? The end of the story in Genesis, where his brothers say they were convicted by the cries of their brother. It took them like 20-something years to finally, for that conviction to go from their ears and into their hearts. They sat there and had a meal. They had lunch as their brother is crying out. And maybe his cries went from like, okay, guys, knock it off. You're kidding. I would assume that the moment that they ripped that coat off of him, he knew what was going on. And I would imagine the only cries coming from that pit were actual cries for his very life. 
And there he is in a pit as they're just sitting around, enjoying their meal, enjoying their meal. Really, just a tremendous window into the heart and the mind of the individuals that we're dealing with here. They sat down and ate a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? This doesn't make any sense. Let's make some money off of him. Why kill him and hide the body? No, we can make some money off this kid, so let's do that. This is Judah. Again, not a lot of character within this family. Not a whole lot of character within this family at all. Verse 27, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. I mean, we can't do this to our brother. We can't kill our own brother, but we can sell him as a slave and we will feel less guilty. What? That's your rationale. He's like, I don't want this hanging over my head, killing my own brother. You know, I'm okay with selling him as a slave, but I just couldn't live with myself if we took his life. What? What? Okay, good job, Judah. Way to, way to stand up. Man, head and shoulders above your brothers. There you go. So they're going to sell him off. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So there's a little thing there of like, well, is it the Ishmaelites or is it the Midianites? Because they're two different tribes. They're two different people here. What are we talking about? And it could very well be that he was sold to Ishmaelites or descendants of Ishmael. Midian was the son of Abraham through his concubine, uh, Keturah, I believe is what her name was. But also the Midianites was also a term used to describe a collection of tribes known throughout that region. Were they Ishmaelites? Were they Midianites? They were individuals, they were a group of traders that you shouldn't have ever sold your brother to. How about that? Like, there's somebody you just shouldn't have sold your brother to them. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're a part of your family. You don't sell your brother as a slave. You just don't do that. But they sell him, and they think he's only worth 20 shekels of silver. That is the value that they place upon the life of their own brother. That's not a lot of money. Let me tell you, that's not a lot of money. They probably could have got more from him. He's a 17-year-old kid. He's probably strong. Obviously, this kid's a stud. We'll know that later on as we go through his life. And Potiphar's wife surely thought so, okay? You probably could have got a whole lot more. And they're like, hey, what will you give us for this kid? Oh, we'll give you 20. We'll give you 20 shekels. Deal. <laughs> Deal. Get him out of the hole, and then you can have him for 20 shekels of silver. The price of a slave. And they, these traders, they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben, having been gone from this little scenario, returned to the pit. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes because his scheme has just been messed up, right? Not his rescue plan, but this was his scheme. This was how he's going to get back in good favor with dad. That's out the window now. So he tears his clothes. That's a sign of not just anger. It's sometimes of brokenness and all that stuff. Here, it's just a lost opportunity. Verse 30, and he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more, and where shall I go? Wait, hold on, guys. I'm the oldest here, and I don't know what you guys did, but this is all going to go back on me. What do we do now? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, the little goat, dipped the tunic in its blood. Remember the goat from Jacob and Esau in that story and the skin of the goat on Jacob's? Yeah, see, it all kind of comes back full circle. Here's his sons now using the death of an animal, a goat here, to deceive their dad. And they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. 
Do you know whether this is your son's tunic or not? Ah, man, how heartless. Just totally, completely heartless. They know very well that this tunic belongs to Joseph. This is called manipulation. They're like, hey, we found this in the field. Do you know if this is Joseph's or not? Have you ever seen this coat? We found it's covered in blood, torn up. Um, We don't know whose it is. Do you know whose it is, Dad? Knowing full well. They knew. As soon as Jacob would have seen that, he would have known. That's Joseph's coat. Heartless. Heartless. They don't care about Joseph. And in this moment, they don't even care about their dad. They don't care. All they care about, self-preservation. We found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? Not our brothers. Not our brothers. Your sons. Remember, Dad, you have a favorite son? Is this your favorite son's jacket? He's not our brother. Does this belong to the favorite? Kind of rubbing it in his face a little bit. He recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. And this, they allow Jacob to kind of create his own story, right? Because then they're like, we didn't lie. We didn't lie, right? Because look what happens. He says, it's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. They kind of set it up. This is what manipulation is like. You kind of set it up, and then you allow the individual to come to their own conclusions about what had happened. So then you can say, oh, I never said that an animal just devoured him. I never said that. What are you talking about? See, in one way, this is how manipulators work. They're very smart, very crafty. These guys are a chip off the old block, right? Total little students of Jacob, who was the ultimate manipulator. They work him to draw up his own conclusions. Because his conclusion is, well, obviously, an animal has devoured him or has killed my son. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces, then Jacob tore his clothes, and this is a mourning type of response on his part, put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and and all his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. This absolutely, completely crushed his heart. He just lost his wife, his favorite wife not that long ago. Viciously so, his sons create within his own mind this story of, well, now you get to grieve the loss of your son, knowing full well that it never happened. That's wicked. That's evil, okay? Let me tell you, that is absolutely evil to play with somebody's emotions like that. That's wretched. That is absolutely wretched. And that is like the highlight of humanity, how we will play with people's emotions, create these stories and these scenarios, and let people come to their own conclusions about things that aren't even actually true. It's wickedness. It is absolute wickedness. And there they are. I mean, you can put yourself in the story there, and you have the housing is all set up and all this stuff, and there's dad just in sackcloth, mourning, weeping. And his brothers would have the audacity, the audacity to come to their dad and say, hey, dad, it's going to be okay. Hey, dad, we're sorry for your loss. Hey, dad, is there anything we can do for you? Knowing that you just sold Joseph into slavery. 
He's not mourning. He's not to this extent if you would just have said, Dad, we did something wrong. We did a bad thing. Can we borrow some money to go buy back our brother? Instead of like perpetuating the heartache in their father. It's ridiculous. They're trying to comfort dad, and he's like, I'm just, I just can't wait to die. I just can't wait to die because I lost my wife, my favorite wife, and now I've lost my favorite son. It's tragic. And then the story transitions back to Joseph. It says, now the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. So these Midianite traders, these guys who bought him for 20 shekels, probably turned around and sold him for like 40 shekels, right? Like they're going to double what they paid for this kid. And he just so happens to end up in Potiphar's house, who is the captain of the guard, one of Pharaoh's top dogs. Just so happens. And God's there putting all the pieces in place saying, you guys think you know what's going on, but you don't know what's going on. You have no idea. Because this kid, who at least in his father's mind is as good as dead, is going to be used to save not only his family, but an entire nation, an entire nation. There is a good little practical lesson in that, um, in which we'll close out with. Here's Joseph, a 17-year-old kid, and in his father's mind, he is a lost cause because he's gone, and there's no coming back for this kid. In his mind, in his mind, as far as what he knows, the kid's dead. And what I would use that to illustrate is sometimes in our minds, we think so-and-so is too far gone. So-and-so is too far gone. What we don't realize, because we can't take a step back and see the whole picture, we don't see God saying, okay, this piece of the puzzle over here that you're not even aware of, I'm sliding that into place, and this one, I'm sliding this one into place. And oh, the one that you think is too far gone, I'm connecting all these pieces to that person. Just watch and see. Just wait and see. Just wait and see. That's kind of the story within here. I mean, you're dealing with so much sin and just blah, ugh. That chapter is just, man, a highlight of just the sinfulness of humanity. But if we can take a step back out of that chapter and see, like, God's not even worried about it. He's not worried about it. And even Joseph, I mean, he goes to live in Egypt. He didn't even speak the language. He's walking into Egypt. He sees the pyramids because they were built at this point in time. He sees the Sphinx. That was built at this point in time. He sees all this stuff, and people are talking in a language that he doesn't even understand. And he says, I guess this is my home now. But you know what? God's still with me. So I think I'll be okay. I think I'll be all right. And there's dad back at home, mourning as he should, but mourning the loss of he's never going to come back. And it's like, no, no, he's going to come back. Just wait. Just wait and see. Wait and see what the Lord does with this kid. I hope that that is an encouragement to you guys. Um, we're going to press on through Genesis and all that good stuff. We got Genesis 38, which is a weird little side story. Um, Judah and his daughter-in-law. Just more fun stories in Genesis. Here we go. Um, but we're going to go through them because even in Genesis 38, there's a lot to be learned through that. And then we pick right back up with Joseph and Joseph at Potiphar's house. Man, what a tremendous kid of character. And I wrote down this quote somebody had said, adversity didn't harden his character, and we'll see that prosperity didn't ruin him. Just a tremendous man of character. Hopeless, hopeless, 
There's so much to learn from the pages of Genesis, but sadly, that's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad you've spent your time with us today and would like to take a moment and let you know how you can hear more of Pastor James Grizzle's teachings. Simply navigate to breadforthebroken.com and click on Teachings to access our archive. Feel free to share the teachings with your friends and family or post them to social media. We love it when we can share the good news of the gospel with anyone and everyone, and you are a part of that. While you're at our website, you'll be able to discover more about the church behind the ministry of Bread for the Broken. Calvary Galveston isn't just another church in our city. We want to be a light for Jesus to all who enter through our doors. We love the Word of God, Jesus, the people of our church, and the people of our city. Do you live in Galveston or are you visiting soon? We'd be honored to meet you in person. Calvary Galveston gathers for Sunday morning services at 10 a.m. Not too early, but in plenty of time to start the week out with worship. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed. Just come as you are. At our service, we search the scriptures for what God wants to teach us, and we spend time reflecting and celebrating Him through worship. Visit breadforthebroken.com for our address and to get more information. We're excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' teaching. Join us again next time to continue through Genesis and find hope and new life in Jesus. Jesus.